Will you open your Bible with me, please, to Matthew chapter 5 today? Matthew chapter 5. It is great to be with you. Did you know that Sarah Schmid wrote that thankful song that the children sang? She didn't just, she didn't just lead it. She wrote it. Well done, Sarah. You're a blessing. It's good to see. You know, the Bible tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you can see out of Sarah's heart overflowing thankfulness to the Lord, and it's good. It's a blessing. Thank you for leading our kids. It was fun. It's fun to see the kids up here, isn't it? They're great. Praise the Lord. Uh, when I was a young man, I had once upon a time, in one day, experienced the highest highs and the deepest depths in one experience that I want to share with you. And this was during a family camp, of course. Family camps are the best, aren't they? So we went away as a church, and we were at Table Rock, Table Rock Lake. And my friend Tim Ivanzik, some of you know the Ivanziks. Uh, my friend Tim Ivanzik, who was my salvation of high school physics and chemistry, because uh, he was very good at that stuff, and I was very bad at it. Um, he was my lab partner and my help. We were out on Table Rock Lake on a wave runner, one of those motorcycles that's made for the water, you know those things? This particular wave runner was 155 horsepower, big old three-seater thing. The two of us were on there. It topped out around 70 miles an hour, and it was very fast. And so we were on this wave runner. And the funny thing about Table Rock Lake is it interlocks with a bunch of other tributaries and rivers and stuff. And so there's some commercial shipping that goes through Table Rock Lake. And on this particular day, we're out there with the wave runner. And we're driving around, and a barge had come through the locking system that was carrying something very heavy because it was sitting very low in the water with all of its other things, you know, bargy. I don't know if that's a word, but bargy stuff <laughs> together. And so the bargy stuff was low in the water. Now, the low in the water bargy stuff was creating about four or five foot waves that were coming off the back of the barge. And so Tim and I saw an opportunity to have some of those high heights of the day. And we decided, going about eh, 50 miles an hour, that we were going to hit one of these waves and jump it. And it was going to be awesome. And we did. We hit that wave just perfect. And I'll tell you what, we were sailing through the air, and it was awesome. And we were flying high, and everything was great. But you know, there's a funny thing about waves. There's the crest of the wave, and there's the trough of the wave. And we were going fast enough that we went right over the crest of the next wave and right into the trough of the next one. So these five-foot waves were causing us to be solidly under the water as the front of the boat hit the water as we're going at a downward angle. And all I remember was Tim going, this is awesome. And then suddenly water just is, I, I don't know if, I never played football, but I imagine if you played football and then just had a linebacker just hit you as hard as they could, that's probably what it would be like. The water just slammed into me, and all of a sudden, I went from air to depths. And thankfully, we were wearing our life vests, because guys, you got to wear the life vests. Wearing our life vests, I remember coming out of the darkness of the water, popping up in these huge waves as we're moving around. And I'm looking around, and the barge is turning, which is getting kind of dangerous, because it's right there. And I'm in the water, no Tim, no boat that we were on. The, the wave runner motorcycle thing is gone. It's just me in the water. And I remember looking around. You ever been in the water, like in a lake? To, you know, you're tubing, and then you fall off, and then the tube goes, and suddenly, like, all, everything's trying to bite your feet. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, you don't like it. Man, it was like that to the 10th degree, because here I am in the water. Nobody's there. And suddenly, Tim bloop, comes up next to me. 
and he's, he had been wearing contact lenses that were washed out by the water. And so he's going, I can't see, I can't see. Where are we? What's happening? Where are you? Where are we? And I was like, Tim, it's, I'm right here. Are you okay? He's like, I don't know. I think I'm okay. I can't see. I said, all right. And just then, upside down, here comes the boat. Bloop out of the water. And thankfully, yeah, upside down, which is bad. So it means it's filling with water. And there's this little protocol you got to do to turn it the right way because there's these special valves that make the water come out. So we're turning it. And I remember we climbed up on there real fast because the barge is now turning toward us. And we're like, we got to get out of here, man. And, uh, and we, t man, I'll tell you what, you say some prayers. And when you put the little safety in, you're like, Lord, please let this start. And that thing started right up. And we moved out of the way. And Tim's like, we're both <sighs> breathing like this on the back of the, of the wave runner. And Tim goes, man, whew, that was awesome. Let's do that again. Maybe not so fast this time. And I was like, yeah. Because the guy drive, I was like, sure. It was great. Don't kids, see the kids are out. All the middle schoolers went out. That's the can tell this story then. It was a great time. I tell you this story, it was super fun. In one day, highest heights, deepest depths. And boy, it's funny how you're dependent on God in different ways in those same moments. It's really interesting, isn't it? Now, I, I tell you this story for two reasons. First of all, because it'll come back around a little bit for us. But secondly, because everybody everywhere, every English teacher in the room knows, if you're going to start a paper, you're going to start a speech, you're going to start a sermon, you got to start with a certain kind of sentence, not just a sentence. It's got to be what? A grabber sentence, right? You got to have the hook. You got to have some kind of grabber something. And so my grabber today is these high heights and deep depths because it's fun to hear about motorcycles on the water and going in all the barges and making up words like bargy. That's super fun. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 goes up onto a mountaintop and he starts to teach. And the usual practice of the day when rabbis taught was they would sit down. So Jesus does that. And in Matthew 5 verse 1 it says this, seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, like the rabbis usually do, his disciples came to him. Now there's a lot of them. Because these verses preceding this, Jesus has been walking around and he's teaching people. He's also, as he's begun some teaching, healing people. And everyone who is brought to him is healed. And so the people that are coming to him literally yesterday had limbs that were broken and today are fixed. Literally yesterday had family members who were oppressed by demons and today are okay. Literally yesterday had people who were addicted to things and broken in things and sicknesses on things and fevers and close to death and today are alive and now they're seeking out Jesus because they want to see what he's going to do. The grabber sentence for Jesus was not some kind of special word or story. It was him coming in power and, his, and the kingdom of God coming through him so that everyone was healed as they touched him. How amazing is that? And then they're seeking him out to come up on the mountain and listen to the big sentence as which he starts this teaching. He says this, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, blessed or blessed, you, we usually bless it a lot, don't we? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Praise the Lord for his word. You know, as Jesus opens his mouth and starts speaking, he doesn't, he doesn't have a story or sentence that I would expect. Wouldn't you expect if you had a couple thousand people suddenly come up onto the mountain to hear you, you'd want to start with something that really grabs their attention. Now, he doesn't need to because they've seen his power. They're sort of on the edge of their seats waiting to see what he's going to do next. So the anticipation is already high. But as Jesus starts to speak, he speaks in a way that's very foreign to us. Foreign in the sense that whenever anybody comes out, maybe you've seen those TED Talks where people come out and they you know, stand nicely and they always, they always enter like something like this, right? They come in and, hello, hello, and they're showing you. You know why we do that, by the way? There's psychology behind it because as we show people our hands, that's why we wave. I don't have a weapon. I'm not a threat. I'm your friend. You can trust what I say. Trust me. Trust me. Watch politicians as they always stay in a little box here. Hello, everybody. Hello. You can trust me. That's how people do it. There's science behind it. Jesus doesn't do any of that stuff. He sits down, and as one with authority, he just tells them the truth. And here's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You understand these people are desperate. They're desperate for a savior. They're desperate for Jesus. They're desperate not just for his power and the benefits of what he's doing and the healing that he's doing, but they're desperate for a change because these people are people who are largely oppressed. The Jewish people have been under the boot of Rome for quite a while. Uh, during this time period, to be Jewish means that you most likely can't have the best jobs. If you do have a good job or own a business, uh, you're taxed heavily by your brothers who know, and so they're stealing from you all the time. The people are not in a good place. They're not in a good place economically. They're trying to pull together a Thanksgiving. They're not at a big Thanksgiving banquet. And so these are people who are not in the highest heights. These are people who are in the deepest depths, who are coming to Jesus having seen the relief that he offers through his healing. But now he's going to change things and do something different, something spiritual, something much deeper than they expect. And he starts off by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, this word blessed, a lot of times we mess that word up. A lot of times we walk out into the parking lot, and if we find a $20 bill sitting in the, in the street somewhere, we're like, oh, I'm so blessed. And you know what? We are blessed. Praise God. Isn't that a good thing? That's great. Uh, the other day, I was trying to cook hot dogs or something for the kids, and I dropped on a caught it midair, and I was like, ah, I'm so blessed. <laughs> Hooray! Because it didn't go on the ground. Like, that's how we use it usually. But Jesus is not talking about that. Now, he's, he's talking about happiness, but a different kind of happiness. Here's what blessing really is. The first person who was blessed in the Bible, the first people were Adam and Eve. They were blessed in the garden. And they weren't blessed with riches. You know, they didn't even wear clothes. What were they blessed with? They were blessed with God's peace. But more than that, they knew him and walked with him, literally walked with him. Blessing is knowing God and walking with him. It's a state of good things and happy things and, and all that kind of stuff. 
However, it's in relationship with God. It's not just catching the meat before it falls on the ground. It's not just finding the $20. It's walking with him. It's knowing him. It's being, being formed in the purpose of worship in which you are made and doing it well because you're walking with God everywhere you go. And these people are blessed just by being in the presence of God himself incarnate on the earth. And the power that's happened there as his kingdom comes and his will is done is everybody who's oppressed is healed. How incredible. And now they're before him as he opens his mouth and he's telling them, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are dependent on God, those who are desperate for him. That's what poor in spirit means. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus gives us a snapshot, a snapshot of what kingdom living looks like and kingdom attributes. And this is important for us because as he's teaching us, he's showing us what dependency on him looks like. But really, what does blessing really look like? You know, I love Thanksgiving, and it's good to be thankful for a lot of things. Um, are you thankful for the little crafts that the kids make? You know when they bring home the little crafts, and they're sometimes terrible and sometimes good, and then two weeks later you're like, do I just throw this away, or what do I do? But isn't it a blessing to have those little crafts? It's great, isn't it? I'm mentioning that because it's funny, you know, nobody on their deathbed ever said, I wish I had more stuff. Nobody ever said, man, I wish I had that Black Friday deal. It haunts me today that I didn't get it. Nobody said, I wish I had a better car. Nobody said that. What do they say? I wish I had more time with my grandkids. I wish I had more time. I wish I, wish I wouldn't have let that junk get between us in our relationship. It's not worth it now. That's what everybody says. Everybody wants to be close to those they love. It's really funny when we think about what real blessing is. You know, God blesses us with stuff. Stuff is good. Stuff is a blessing. You know, Wi-Fi is a blessing. Bluetooth is a blessing. All those things are a blessing. However, when we really come down to it, if we define ourselves on what Jesus says, it changes our lives and the trajectory of our lives. This sermon today is not about forsake stuff. Stuff is just stuff. This sermon today is about this. Real blessing comes from knowing God and walking with him. Are you clouded in your thinking? Has the world allowed the pursuit of other things to get in the way of pursuing Jesus? Because if we are desperate for him and we come to him and we see his kingdom come, it's like, it's like what we were designed to do. And suddenly everything is better. Have you ever had a big job that you're doing that requires a lot of work? Maybe it's cooking a meal or some kind of manual labor something or weeding, which is the worst job in the world. And you get going, it's like your whole, it's just the worst. You just don't want to do it. And you start working on it, and eventually you kind of get into a rhythm. And after a while, you're like doing the work, and you kind of forget how stinky it is. Then you're tired, and it's stinky again. But when you finish, you're like, oh, we did that. We did, done, did that. There's something about the work that happens when you are sort of in the flow of what God's called you to. That is a blessing, isn't it? What does the world want us to do? They want us to seek everything but him. Have you noticed how everything nowadays is turned internally? What makes you happy? Just seek the thing that makes you happy. 
That's pretty much the world's whole message. You know, that's all they really got. But at the end of the day, have you noticed how those things, when you start seeking something, have you spent the day looking for a Black Friday deal, and at the end of the day, you're exhausted and angry and frustrated? But if you'd just been weeding, you probably would have been fine. That's weird. Why is that? Because the world is selling us a lie that we can seek what we want and it will fulfill you. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are desiring of God, who know we can't do it on our own, those who are not just experiencing the highest heights, but in the depths of the water hitting them that feel like a linebacker just came against them, are crying out to God. Now you're alone in the water looking around. You don't know what's happening. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they're crying out to God saying, Lord, I need you today. Well, what happens when we wake up in the morning like that? What happens when we wake up in the morning? Not because we don't have any food to eat, thank God. What a blessing. But instead, we wake up desperate for him because we want to be close to him. And if he sits down on the mountain, I'm going to be there by him. And suddenly, our whole world is just moving together with what God is doing. And it feels great instead of the pursuit of all the stuff that makes me happy, that at the end of the day doesn't make me happy. It's so funny. A lot, of, a lot of illustrations about McDonald's coming to mind, but I'm just going to say that word, McDonald's, and you know what I'm talking about. You know, I met a guy on uh, the day after Thanksgiving. We had something going on. Oh, we, tried, we got pizza. You know that's the, like the biggest pizza day of the year, right? So we got a pizza, and I went to go pick up the pizza, and my, one of my sons had requested buffalo wings, and they had a problem with the buffalo wings. So there's McDonald's right next to the pizza place. So I went to the McDonald's to get chicken nuggets. So there I am, and I'm going through the thing, and I, I always chat with people. So I come up to the, the little uh, ordering thing and order and come up to the window, and the guy's there, and I said, hello, happy Thanksgiving. How was your, how was your holiday? He goes, oh, I worked all day yesterday. I said, oh, man. He goes, actually, I work here at McDonald's. My sister works at McDonald's. My mom and my dad both work at McDonald's, and we worked all day yesterday. And then we had uh, worked all day today, and midday today, we had a, uh, like an employee Christmas party, and uh, we cooked all the food for it. I said, wow. He goes, yeah, we, we call it the family business. I said, wow. I said, so your family owns this McDonald's? He goes, oh, no. The guy who owns it owns like 30 of them in St. Louis. We just work for him. I said, really? He goes, yep. He goes, here's your change. He goes, have a great day. And I, it, was, it was stunning to me. This guy had the best attitude. Literally, I was like, you have the best McDonald's. I, t I was like, hey, you, did you know you have the best McDonald's in St. Louis? Because his attitude, he was, he was happy to serve, and he'd worked all weekend and done stuff for a place that wasn't his. You know what? That sounds like the kingdom, because the Lord's the owner. The Lord is the king over all of it. And he says, I will make you my governor, and this is your portion, and you get to serve. And today is not a holiday. It's a serving day. And you're like, but I want a holiday, because that's how we act especially when we're indoctrinated with selfishness. And instead, we can say, Lord, I'm going to serve you. And suddenly, it's, well, don't you want Jesus to say, this is the best McDonald's? If Jesus walked in right now and said, this is the best church in St. Louis, it would be that, wow, yes and amen. That, isn't that what we long for, though? And even when the house is a wreck and the kids are crazy and all these things, and Jesus comes in to have a meal with us, which he does, you know, he does it every week through communion. It's amazing. Are we poor in spirit? Or have we given in to what the world has told us?
that our selfishness, our selfishness is really what we should seek after. I want you to turn with me. Jesus is going to talk, and this is the famous Sermon on the Mount. I would commend it to you to read the whole thing. For, for time's sake today, we're going to skip ahead a little bit. And in chapter 6, Jesus starts talking about uh, more of these things that matter and being anxious and things that are happening. I want just, let's just read what he says. So if you'll turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 19. Jesus says this. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the whole body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Praise the Lord. You know, it's easy to be anxious for the day. I'm anxious for the day sometimes, a lot of times. When there's bills to be paid, when there's stuff happening, when the kid's basketball uniform is $90. $90 basketball? Yes. What is that about? That is from the devil. <laughs> we all feel those things, don't we? You know, Jesus is not saying that stuff is bad, understand. But what he's saying is, if you're going to be following him, if you are poor in spirit and yours is the kingdom of God, that we have to follow and trust and seek him and not the things how do we do that? What does that look like? You know, it's interesting what Jesus says. Jesus is talking here, and the people he's talking to, I mentioned to you, they, they're pretty oppressed by the Romans. One of the things that happens in the Roman government is, unless you are willing to offer sacrifices to Caesar, you can't get the best jobs. So you can't work in government, can't, which the Roman government's the richest place around. So you can't get government jobs, can't really work in education, can't really do a lot other than kind of manual labor stuff which means that, in general, the Jews are generally poor. Every once in a while, there's a rich one who owns a business or something, and sometimes the leaders are kind of wealthy, but generally, most of the people Jesus is talking to are poor people. 
And so when Jesus is saying these things to them, it is cutting straight at them because they are wondering where they're going to eat tonight, a lot of them. And Jesus is telling them that their father is going to provide for them. But he goes on to say this interesting thing because he's already told them, if you're poor in spirit, yours will be the kingdom of God. He goes on to say this interesting thing, and he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's fascinating about this is Jesus has just spent a chapter and a half, Matthew 5 and part of 6, outlining the ethics of the kingdom. And in every ethic of the kingdom, they are far beyond human ability to keep. Far beyond. If you're angry at somebody in your heart and you dehumanize them, you are guilty of murder, says Jesus. If you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery with her. And you are, you are unclean, according to the law. You're a sinner. And all the things that Jesus has said is he's taken the righteousness of the day, which is do all the right stuff and let your reputation be good, is basically what the world said. And he's taken all that and dismantled it by saying, the Lord looks at your intentions in the heart. And Jesus basically says, I can tell all y'all, none of you measure up. And so the overwhelming thought behind this is, Lord, we need a savior. We need somebody who can help us with this. And what's incredible here is that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Did you know that in the, in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus uses for my sake or for my kingdom's sake equally about half the time. So as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and he says, seek first the kingdom, understand what he's really talking about is seek first the king of the kingdom. And if you seek him and you know him and you're in relationship with him, won't all these other things be added to you as you're serving him? Now, who's the king of the kingdom? It's him. It's him. And see, the world wants you to get so spun up to try to do all the right things that if you do it right, God's going to owe you something because you did it. Man, I tithed. I went to every church meeting, not just three out of the four. I went to every church meeting. I was there and served and helped Jim when the ladies were going to eat stuff. And I was there at noon and baking and I did it. And then, so God, you better make do now. I saw your kingdom, so you owe me. But let's be honest. That's how we all deal with God. Let's be honest. At the end of the day, that's how we all deal with God. That's how we deal with our friends. That's how we deal with our spouses. Sometimes that's how we deal with our kids. You owe me peace right now. Go to bed. It is midnight. Why are you up? God help me. I can't do it. Why? Kids, it's amazing. Why do they need so much water at night? It's amazing. Anyway, but this is how we do things. And Jesus has already exposed this to us. Here's what I want to tell you today. Did you know the king of the kingdom came to you? Did you know that he came and he healed whoever came to him and then he sat down on the mountain to teach them? He came to us because we couldn't make it to him. He showed us an ethic that was so far beyond anything we could possibly accomplish because God looks at our intentions, at our intentions and our hearts. God looks internally and he sees all the things. And because we cannot measure up to him, he came to us and his intentions were perfect. And for the joy set before him, which is you, he endured the punishment that we deserve. Because Jesus Christ is so kind, so good, so perfect, so loving, 
All healing is in him. Because he's everything, he became our everything so that we could come to God. How incredible. And now we get duped by the selfish things. And what happens is we end up coming to him with all our requests first and all the things we need done and we need him. And so we're just there in the moment of the deepest depths and that's when we cry out. And I'm telling you today, let's seek him on the mountain when he's sitting when he can be found and not just when we're under the water and we can't find the boat. Let's seek him all the time. Let's seek him when we go to sleep. Let's seek him when we rise up. Let's seek him when we're driving in the car. Let's seek him when all the emotions of something come up and we start to think about things that make us angry. Isn't it funny how weird memories will come up and dissuade you? Isn't it funny how when you feel holy and you feel like you are really doing good with God, you will get sucker punched right in the place where you know you're vulnerable. Isn't that funny? And it will happen over and over again unless your righteousness is not your own. Unless it's not just pretense and doing things so that God owes us something, but instead we are coming to him and saying, Lord, I need you all the time, every day, every breath I need you. I seek you. And as we seek him, something changes in us. What is it that changes in us? It's like your spirit fellowships with him because that's what happens. Because he's singing over you and he came to you and now he's bringing you up into himself that you might know him. He's put his very Holy Spirit in you that you might know him. What can you do? How do you seek him? What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Don't let your rest, don't let your rest be in something. Let it be in him. If your rest is in television, if your rest is in the podcast that you listen to, if your rest is in drinking a root beer on the porch, I don't, whatever it is, if your rest is in, you've got to walk around the block before you go to bed. If your rest is in the six-hour bubble bath, if the rest is in whatever it is, we all find rest in things, don't we? What do you find rest in? Can you seek him in your rest? What does it look like to do that? Here's one, one way you can do that. When you are going to sleep, Sing a song. Praise him out loud with a song. And say this, Lord, I seek you. I love you. I want to serve you today. Lord, if you put me in a garden, I want to garden all the weeds. Whatever you call me to do, Lord, let me glorify your name. And what you're doing really is you're taking your eyes off all the things. Because let's be honest, a lot of times we go to bed with that last image of the cell phone in our eyes. And a lot of times those are the things that are Either we're comparing ourselves about or we want to get or interested in or trying to research or we're trying to do. Instead, let's just come to him. Let the last image in our eyes be, Lord, let me see you. Lord, I want to honor you. Lord, I want my life to line up with what you're doing. Lord, as your kingdom comes and your will is done, Lord, use me for your glory. Father, I seek you. Lord, I know that I'll find you. And suddenly something happens in us, doesn't it? What is that? It's just him. It's just him because he's so good and he hears our prayers. You know, it's funny. I, I've been thinking a lot about this sermon. Like, how can I, I want to give you like some kind of great nugget of like, this is what you got to do. At the end of the day, I'm just going to be honest with you. You just got to seek him. We just got to seek him. I used to have a guy when I was in the military, he used to tell me, he used to go, there's no way to get better at running than to run. Can't get better at running unless you run. There's no way to seek God unless you just seek him. 
But we got to disrupt some of the patterns that usually get into us. Have you ever woken up to, are you still watching this? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had to go back 15 episodes because you can't remember, like, where were we in this thing? You know, not, listen, it's fine. Fall asleep with the TV on, it's fine. It's not a sin. There's no sin there. My point, though, is are we deliberate? My point is, are we really seeking him? Or is this just going to be a New Year's resolution that we're going to do? Someday I'll start seeking you, Lord. Someday I'll, have, I'll be disciplined like that. You know, the beauty of it is, it's him. We're not seeking the kingdom. We're not seeking some thing. We're seeking him. And if you say, Father, I need you, it's like the kids at night. Dad, I'm thirsty. Here's mine. Dad. Dad. Or daddy, depending on. Daddy. You know, there's, but there's no time you don't go in the room. What is it, darling? Are you okay? Sometimes, go to bed. I do that sometimes. But my point, though, is if you ask the Lord, Lord, I want to seek you, he's, he's, he loves you. He's going to come. He's not going to keep you shut in that room. And what would it look like tonight if God shows up and walks into the situation you've been praying about? What if you stop praying about the situation so much and instead just pray for him and just let him show up? What would it do to you? How would your attitude look different if you were holding Jesus' hand through whatever situation? We all have the situations. Whatever thing's weighing on you, if the Lord bears up with you under it, what would it look like for you? What would it be? It's just him, isn't it? And then we take his hand and we walk with him and we say, Lord, I'll do anything for you. And suddenly, as we start out of the selfishness and into his kingdom, it's like everything's in alignment now. I was supposed to do this forever. And now, all the other stuff just drips away. And then you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. You provided this thing. Wow. It's, it's so much better, isn't it? What the world has been feeding us is not true. It's a lie. Just seek him. How do you do it? Just ask him. Just ask him. And I'm saying this to all of us who are mature believers. We, we know him. Just ask him. Lord, will you? Here's the great news. Whether you're in the highest heights, whether you're in the deepest depths, if you cry out to him, he will be found. He will be found. Whether you are in the best moment of your life, the strongest you've ever felt, whether you are at the weakest point you've ever been, he will be found. And at the end of the day, for those of us who are poor in spirit, ours is the kingdom. And more than just the kingdom, ours is the king. We get to be with him. Isn't that great news? Amen. That's enough to be thankful for. We're starting a series now on just seeking God, on coming to him, looking for him. Uh, Jerry's going to teach us. David's going to teach us. I'm going to do some stuff. I'm excited for it. But I'm telling you right now, I am expectant that God is going to use this season. I, f I can feel him moving. I know he's putting burden in us to come to him. We all have stuff that we need, and the testimonies are good. But at the same time, I just want to be close to him, don't you? And I'm telling you right now, I'm excited to see what will occur. Because as the kingdom of God settles in our life, and really what I mean by that is, as the king shows up in everything we do, man, it changes everything. And so I am full-on expectant for healings. I'm full-on expecting God to see him arrive. I'm full-on expecting God 
that relationships will change, that God will bring people back together, that the Lord will answer prayers that maybe were prayed 30 years ago. I am full on expecting to see what God's going to do. And I'm asking you to join that with me. But the way we start is not for the stuff. If we're after the things, if we want the emotion, you know, like I like emotion. I'm Italian, so it's a mess. If you've met my mom, I got a lot of my mom in me. But the emotions are great. The worship is great. All the things are great. Praise God. But if we, if we miss him, it's not worth it. Let's hold on to Jesus. How do we do that? Just start by just seeking him. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son. Lord, I ask you, God, that you would help us. Help us in our weakness. Help us, Lord, when our eyes get easily dissuaded. Help us when our selfishness comes up. Help us, Lord, when we do foolish things. Lord, I know you've cleansed us. You've made us saints in you. Lord, you've brought us by your spirit into Christ. Lord, you've united us with him. And Lord, we confess also we still live in this flesh and we fail. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. Forgive us for fixing our eyes on anything other than you. Help us, Lord, to fix ourselves on you. Help us, Lord, to seek you and to reach out to you. And thank you, Lord, that according to your word, Lord, you will be found. You don't hold us back. You don't laugh at us. You don't keep us at bay. But instead, you rush in. So, Lord, I ask you now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, that you would rush in on us. Rush in on us afresh. Rush in on us now that we would see you. Lord, let us walk with you and serve you and do all the things that you've commanded us to. Help us not to get distracted by all the other things. Lord, I ask you that you would meet all of our physical needs and all the things. Lord, that you would bless us richly so that we can be a blessing to others. Lord, that you would fill us with all those good things. But more than that, Lord, let us hold fast to Jesus. More than that, Lord, let us see you face to face. More than that, Lord, let us hear your voice speak into our situation. Lord, we want to see your footsteps and hear them as they come. Lord, we want to feel you gird us up and pull us up, Lord. We want to feel those temptations and situations and brokenness fall off of us because you're the great healer and you are here. Lord, we hold to you. You are our everything. And so, Lord, we look to you and I pray that you would put a burden in us to be close to you in all things. Lord, thank you that, oh God, thank you that you do give us your kingdom. And more than that, you've given us the king of the kingdom, your son, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We're dismissed. Have a great day. The Lord is with you. We'll see you soon.